Well, once again, Nineveh was to be a trophy for God's grace. But instead, Nineveh became a tool as an, an object of God's wrath. Assyria was one of the most brutal, one of the most powerful, idolatrous empires in the ancient world. Assyria's empire was built on bloodshed. It was built on the massacre of other people. And because of this, they too would receive the judgment of God. It would not just be the people of God held to the standard of God. It would be everybody in the entire world still to this day. Assyria, by the judgment of God, would be defeated by Babylon. That would be the next conquering army that would take them out underneath the watchful eye of God. And Assyria would lose their will, and they would lose their land, and they would lose their power and their might over to the hand of another conquering army. But listen to this. The scripture says in Nahum chapter 2, verse 13, that Babylon was not their problem. God was their problem. He said to the Assyrian nation, I am your enemy. Not another nation, not another war coming, not another tribe. I am your enemy. No person, people, or nation, past, present, and future, escapes the watchful and righteous eye of God. Some of us today think about what about this nation that we are in today? What about the culture of the world around us? I assure you that God is slow to get angry, but he gets angry with sin. That's the truth of his word. That there is no one escapes the judgment of God if they oppose God. It belongs to him. Judgment belongs to him. The guilty would not go unpunished under God. But ladies and gentlemen, nobody that you're thinking of outside this church is inside this church today. This is about me and you today, isn't it? As we are before the word of God. This is about our sin before God, our challenges before God, the ministry that we need before God. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 14 says that God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Goodness, that's fear and trembling, isn't it? As we think about why we are here, yes, we're here to worship God, but who are we kidding? We're broken people in need of the grace of God. We have got to stop seeing the altar as a place where people are kneeling because they are reeling in sin. It's not that people are at the altar because they are reeling in sin. It's because they are appropriately dealing with sin. They're taking a posture before a holy God that they agree with who he says that they are. It would do us good to get on our knees before God, to bow our heads and our hearts before God because, listen, we all know each other. One thing that I've read this week, according to the revival that's happening on a college campus that may you have read seen too, is that there is not just praise and worship going on. There is not just preaching going on. There is repentance going on. There are people that have finally quit putting on airs and they get before their holy God and admit that they are who they are and they need the grace of God. Do we understand today that God is the one the human race is accountable to, that all of us are accountable to holy, almighty God, and that God must judge the violent empires of the past. But y'all listen, God even judges the sinful thoughts of the present. That's how holy he is. All the things that are done in secret, all the things that are behind closed doors, the thoughts, words, the deeds, this is who we're dealing with. When we have a proper perspective of God, all of his truth, all of his grace, we will be the people of God to represent his interest in the world. Now let's read together 
Church, Nahum chapter one, verses one through eight. Verse one, this message concerning Nineveh came as a vision to Nahum who lived in Elkosh. The Lord is a jealous God, filled with vengeance and rage. He takes revenge on all who oppose him and continues to rage against his enemies. Verse three, the Lord is slow to get angry, but his power is great and he never lets the guilty go unpunished. He displays his power in the whirlwind and the storm, the billowing clouds of the dust beneath his feet. At his command, the oceans dry up and the rivers disappear. The lush pastures of Bashan and Carmel fade and the green forests of Lebanon wither. In his presence, the mountains quake and the hills melt away and the earth trembles and its people are destroyed. Who can stand before his fierce anger? Who can survive his burning fury? His rage blazes forth like fire and the mountains crumble to dust in his presence. The Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust in him, but he will sweep away his enemies. In an overwhelming flood, he will pursue his foes into the darkness of night. God, bless your word and bless your people and help us today, Lord, to get the truth and to take it with us and live it out in Jesus' name. The Bible says in chapter one, verse one, that the message concerning Nineveh came as a vision. That word vision in your version of scripture may also be oracle, but the idea behind that word vision is the word burden. So you could actually say that God gave Nineveh a burden on his heart to share with the people that would hear him. That the word of the Lord came as a burden, meaning it's not something that's easy to say, but it must be said. Now, let's get real practical here for just a moment. For those of you dealing with the decision of a tough conversation, if you are thinking to yourself, I know I need to talk to fill in the blank, but I don't want to. But I know it needs to be said. Let me ask two questions that will help you with that conversation. As God has given his prophet a word that is a burden on his heart, that will make a difference to the people that are listening, or should. Let me give you two questions to consider if you've got a tough conversation coming. Number one, will it help? I'm not asking will the conversation be difficult. I'm asking will the conversation help? Telling the truth is not always easy, but telling the truth is helpful. The, the burden experienced is likely a tension between I don't want to say a word, but I need to say a word. And it's there because you care and everyone involved and everything that's going on, you care about everything that matters. And while you don't want to hurt anyone, you've concluded that it cannot go on the way it is or it will get worse. So the conversation that you need to have with your spouse, the conversation that you need to have with your organization, with your team, the conversation that you need to have with your family or with those that you influence, not asking it will it be a difficult one, it probably will, but will it help? A second question is this, if you are dealing with the decision of a tough conversation, which I would imagine this conversation from a prophet of God telling you, y'all about to get mowed down. That's a pretty difficult conversation. But the second question to ask outside of will it help is this question, is it true? The vision, the oracle, the burden that God gave to Nahum was the word from God to people. It is the truth if it comes from God, Amen. Nahum's words to those under judgment, they were not his opinions. It was not one of these, I got this kind of feeling that if you don't do this, it's, it was not one of those things. It was the truth. It was the vision that God had prepared him to share. 
Now listen, if you've got a difficult conversation coming that you need to have, I'm not going to sit up here and tell you that God's going to speak to you through a vision for you to deliver that message, but he's already given you his word. If we are saturating ourselves in the word of God, the principles of scripture, the word of God, it will give us the truth towards the conversations that we need to have that will make a difference. Do we know in here today that God didn't have to warn them at all? That God did not have to speak through a prophet to his people? He did not have to speak through a prophet to people that were outside of Israel. It is by his grace that he gave them a word at all. This is not God seeking a gotcha moment. He was telling the truth to them to reveal that the pride of your nation is about to bring you down. God did not have to tell the Assyrians. He did not have to tell Israel. But this is his grace. And the very fact that there is a Bible book written called Nahum that is prophecy to Assyria is very factual evidence that God is grace. He is trying his best to tell us. Amen? He is trying his best to tell us this is the way, walk in it according to what is right. This is the approach of a God who desires to save, not to blindside anyone with judgment, but to warn and remind to tell the truth and to follow through. Tell the truth and follow through. Verse two, the Bible says, the Lord is a jealous God, that he is filled with vengeance and rage. He takes revenge on all who oppose him and continues to rage against his enemies. Verse three, the Lord is slow to get angry, thank God, but his power is great, and he never lets the guilty go unpunished. This is a mini study on the attributes of God. This is a characteristic study of God that the Bible tells you right here in verse one, the Lord is jealous. It actually says in chapter one, verse three, he's slow to get angry. It tells you in verse seven that the Lord is good. When you read the Bible, there's two base questions you need to ask. The Spirit of God is enough, but these questions will help you determine what the Spirit of God is saying. Those two questions is, what does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about people? You can get started with that, and it's very clear to see what the Bible tells us about God today. He gets jealous. Now, that may not sit well with some of us, as we think that that's always tied to negative, a negative connotation or negativity. But the Bible says that the Lord is a jealous God. So when you see that, I would encourage you not to, con uh, not to conform your thinking to your thinking, but to conform your thinking to the word of God. Amen. That he's right and we are wrong. A relational characteristic of God is his jealousy. Jealousy is a sin when one wants to possess something that does not belong to them. That's when jealousy crosses the line of right to wrong. But jealousy is a virtue when one wants to protect what they have. Think about that again. Jealousy is a virtue when one wants to protect what they have. In your Bibles, when we read there, Lord is in all caps, is it not? Lord is in all caps for a reason, because it means Yahweh. This is the personal name of the Hebrew God, the one who has made a covenant with his people Israel. And Assyria, even though God had overseen it, Assyria was now messing with his people. Those people belong to God. It's kind of like your in-laws, right? You talk, about, or talk, you talk about your family all you want to, but when somebody says something about your family, you're not going to talk about my family, right? It, it is a, a jealousy. They, they belong to me. I belong to them. And so when we mention somebody else's family, you may have talked about them in the same breath right before that. But as soon as somebody else says something, don't go saying something about my family now. 
See, this is, this is jealousy that is a virtue because it is wanting to protect what belongs to them. The jealousy of God, as you studied in the scripture, is because of his commitment to his people. That's why there's jealousy there. He's not like a jealous guy who can't stand other guys flirting with a girl who's not his girlfriend. This is the jealousy like a husband who is protecting his covenant relationship with his wife. This is the jealousy of God. Brittany and I, when we were in high, we were the high school and college leaders here at Lindsay Lane years ago. One winter retreat time, we took college and young singles to go skiing. A lot of fun, very sore afterwards, as you might imagine. The first day was misery. After that, it was great fun for those of you that have ever been skiing. We go, the second day, we are making our way up to the lift. It's just me and Brittany. Brittany's ahead of me just a few paces. She makes her way to the lift, and there's a guy there that sees her, and he goes, hey, I like those cool green pants. Those are cool. I didn't think anything of it. We get on the lift, we make our way up, we fall and slide back down. As we're walking back to the lift, <laughs> there he is again. And the second time he says, there's those green pants again. I like those. And I was like, what's this guy's deal? <laughs> well, the third time comes around, we're walking up to the lift and he says, there she is again. Miss Green Pants. And I stepped up and I said, yeah, and I'm Mr. Green Pants. <laughs> he says, well, y'all come right on in and sit down. And that was enough. I am in a covenant relationship with my wife. Amen? That jealousy that I'm experiencing in that moment is not out of line. That is my wife. This, this is the jealousy of God. He is, he is honoring a commitment to his people. It is within the character of God because there is a covenant relationship. This is why God is jealous. Christian, God will not share you with anybody else. He will not. And he doesn't want anyone or anything drawing you away from his love because his love is the only unfailing love. That's why he pursues with you. That's why he does not give up on you. He knows you'll never experience a better relationship in your life than the one that you will have with him. This is why God disciplines us. Thank God for it. This is why he allows consequence in our life to bring him back to him. This is why God has written to you and this is why God doesn't write you off because he is in a relationship with you when you have turned from your sin and turned to God by faith and repentance in Jesus Christ, you belong to him and he will not let you go. And this is why he extends grace to you to keep the relationship intact. This is the jealousy of God and the appropriate response from us to God, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. That is the appropriate relationship response to a God who is jealous for us, even when we are not faithful to him. Church, understand these things today so that we may praise him and so that we will once again turn to him again. If you think to yourself, I, I did that last week, do it again. Turn back to God and honor his love for you. The jealousy that comes from him that is out of a heart to bring you close and not let you go. 
turn once again to the love of God so that we may be better tomorrow and the next day within our relationship to him than we are even today. The jealousy of God is also not just about his commitment to his people. The jealousy of God is a commitment to his honor. God owns everything, y'all. God created everyone. And the way in which one should live is according to God's standard. Listen, all the people of Assyria were knit together in their mother's womb, just like all the people of Israel. They were knit together in their mother's womb, not by the Assyrian gods and not by any of those other false gods. They were knit together by the one and only God. And yet, while given life, they opposed his identity. And they opposed the standard of God. They opposed the people of God and the character of God. And listen to verses 7 and 8. The Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. He's close to those who trust in him. But, and that's a change of direction, he will sweep away his enemies in an overwhelming flood. He will pursue his foes into the darkness of night. Y'all, this is why God would raise up his church and send us on mission to give a word to people who have not heard it so they will escape this. Verses 9 through 11 go on to suggest the actions of the nation of Assyria made it seem that they were intentionally scheming against the Lord. It was almost like somebody is leading the nation of Assyria to plot against him, the Bible refers to. This nation acted as though they are a rival of God, but they miss one thing. God has no rivals. Their opposition, their wickedness, their idolatry, their pride, their sorcery, their lies, their murderous ways, all of these, while they are not the covenant people of God, it is still in opposition to their creator and to a God who is jealous for what? For his honor. God is not only jealous for his people, he is jealous for his honor. Let's say that you are throwing a dinner party You have made plans for everything and everyone. You have made the guest list. You've invited them. You've prepared a dinner for them. And you decide to cook chili for everybody that's coming to your party. And there's no need for a chili challenge at your house because you've whipped it. You know this is the best chili in the world. And that's what you're going to serve. And you invite everybody to come in. They come in expecting chili. But then one of your guests brings in their world-famous chicken stew. Oh, I know that you made this. I think everybody might enjoy this as well, or even better. Y'all starting to feel this? They bring in the chicken stew. You didn't ask them to bring it. They just brought it on their own. And even with the intention for everyone else to try theirs and not yours, what is your feeling in that moment if you have prepared and planned and made a way and everything is supposed to go this direction and then somebody comes in and tries to change it? What's the feeling you've got? Jealousy. It's jealousy. Why? Again, because jealousy is a virtue when you desire to protect what belongs to you. Should God judge the life of those who do not believe in him? So that's what brings the question. Should God judge those who oppose him, but they oppose him because they don't know him and they don't know him because they choose not to believe in him and they don't worship him as God? Should should God judge those? The life that they were given was given to them by him. Their very breath that they breathe. So their life is not according to their will. The the empire's way is not according to their way. No country, no individual gets to say what is truth outside of God. 
Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 26 says, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. And since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth and he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall and he determined their boundaries. In other words, because life belongs to God and because life is according to God, no nation, no person will be allowed to bring chicken stew to a chili supper. You cannot determine your own morality. You cannot. It's not up to you. You cannot decide when life begins based on your opinion. You cannot decide for an alternative lifestyle by your feelings. You cannot excuse yourself for passion for a country that's greater for passion than his kingdom. We cannot pass it off as rough edges when our sin continues to hang around and we've been asking forgiveness for it for all that time. You see, God is looking at sin here in a serious way. Not one of those, ah, they'll be all right. Don't excuse his patience as he is just looking over sin. God never looks over sin. So no longer can we look over our own and pass off the little things that really probably don't bother God a lot. You must not understand the holy standard of God, that he is pure and perfect. For those who accept the Lord, but who allow sin, y'all, y'all, y'all know we talking to each other. Y'all listen to this now. For those who accept the Lord, but allow sin, there will be chastisement and discipline and consequence. And God will challenge us and he'll strive with us. But for those who reject God altogether, for those who would say, there's a bunch of different ways. I hear what you're saying. What about all these other folks? I hear what you're saying. That all sounds good, but I believe this way. The God of the Bible is the source of truth. For those who reject God altogether, the Bible clearly says there will be vengeance, rage, and anger. The Bible even says there will be revenge. Why? Because the standard of living is set by Almighty God. And when that is violated, he is jealous for his honor. Verse 6 of our text says, Who can stand before his fierce anger? Who can survive his burning fury? His rage blazes forth like fire and the mountains crumble to dust in his presence. The Bible is asking a question that we know the answer to. Who can stand before his fierce anger? The answer to that is nobody. Church, why not confess your sins today? There's nothing that says you have to come to the altar. There's something special about when we get on our knees before God and we bow our head before God and we get quiet and we stop putting on airs and we agree with God for who he says we are because we know it's true anyway. Why would we not have the culture in our church of confession and repentance and humility to admit that we are in need of a savior and not just a while ago, but every single day we are in need of a savior. Why not be obedient today? Why not be baptized? 
God says we must do all that's required. Baptism is not required for your salvation. It's a necessary step of obedience. You do what God says. The scripture says in the Great Commission verses, teach them to obey. Disciples who make new disciples, teach them to obey. Why would we not take next steps of obedience? Long-time Christians, long-time Christians, what is our next step of obedience? I want you to answer that question for yourself this week. I'll answer it too. What is your next step of obedience? Is it to serve? Is it to give? Is it to sacrifice? Is it to stop raising up idols that God keeps calling out? What is your next step of growth? What is your next step of obedience? What is your next step of repentance? What is it that you would grow because we've not yet reached the holy standard of God? Why not be obedient to, to join a church, to commit your family's not only attendance, but your service and your contribution of time and effort to a, a church, a local church that God is working through to reach the world and the community and everybody in between. What is the next step that we would go to to commit ourselves to learn his ways and to serve his purposes? Those are disciples. Listen to this quote from a Christian leader to, to sum up a response. The way to escape a human's wrath is by running from him. The way to escape God's wrath is by running to him. And even if you have sought the Lord for forgiveness, even if we have, even if this morning before you got into the sanctuary, you have sought the Lord to forgive you of either, either an attitude of sin or sin itself, if we've sought the Lord for forgiveness even before we've got here, we at least now need to see God's attitude towards continuous sin unrestrained. We need to see this in the scripture. You know, there are, there are some preachers out there and some of the things and some of the ways that they preach Sometimes for me, I'm going, ah, I don't know if I would do it that way. But here's the conclusion I arrive at more times than not. We need their voices. Because somebody needs to hear it that way. Somebody needs to hear the blame truth. That's all the way truth to the core. And we're not massaging anybody's shoulders or tickling their ears because that's not what they need in that moment. We need a deeper challenge. We, we need more of a pull towards the truth. We need to be shook up from our daily grind of a life that is a lot about ourselves so that we continue and, and we'll once again live for the Lord. He's the main character of every story. God is not indifferent to sin, obviously. He doesn't shrug it off. He doesn't ignore it. Oh, what are we talking about? We know that, man. They were murdering people. They were abusing people. Yes, but if you also read this book, you'll find lies, pride, idolatry. Anybody? I mean, we're included in this as we read the mirror of Scripture that reflects our life. God is not indifferent to sin. One leader said this, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Scripture says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, hear the word of God. Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Any of y'all heard that before? Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Verse 10 says, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. It is my desire as God wills for me to serve here in this position. And I know it is the desire of those who have led and who lead now that we would be a church that ain't fake. I don't know how else to say that. That we would be a church that's for real about what we believe, 
about his holiness and our need for his salvation, that we would truly fellowship with each other and not talk about each other, that we would fellowship together, one in the spirit, one in purpose, as we don't see giving as something that they're trying to get us to do just to have more money. We see the word of God as not just a book, like a textbook that we throw in the back of our cars when we go from place A to place B, but we see it as the holy word of God and we want to abide by it. You see, this is the desire and the heart behind this church. We're not going to be a church that just dies and gives way to tradition and religion. We will be a spirit-filled church that takes God serious. Amen. Amen. Man, it starts with us. It starts with me. It starts with letting you know I am in need of a Savior. I'm glad to tell you. Thank God the Bible says in verse 3 that he is slow to anger. Can anybody else give God praise that he is slow to anger? Amen? He's not like us. We'll burn something down on a motion real quick. His anger is bridled by his patience, enduring love and desire for none to perish, but all should come to repentance. I want you to know today there may be somebody in here that thinks to themselves they're too far gone. If you think you are too far gone, you hadn't met enough of us yet. If you think you are too far gone, read the scripture and the examples that God gives of people that were flipped from their sin to the glory of God. Now get this as we close. This is my last page. I don't have anything else after this. God would extend warning and grace, patience and pardon to his people and to the world, but to no avail as people cannot get it right. But while people cannot get it right, God cannot give up his holiness. So what did God do? God assigned the judgment, the wrath, the sacrifice that is needed for every nation and every person. Watch this. He assigned it to himself. He assigned it to himself. God knew that the only way to satisfy his desire for justice was to send his son to stand in the place of all who would need his forgiveness. And God would put his spirit in us to, to free us from the penalty and the power of sin. Jesus would die and Jesus would rise again with the promise to give everyone who believes hope of eternal life and peace for living right now. These minor prophets carry such a heavy tone of judgment. You, you can't preach through Micah and Nahum and Jonah and not preach judgment. The, the minor prophets give us this. They give us the truth of God's anger. But y'all listen, God's anger is not for those who turn to him. It's not for those who realize he's serious and as the Spirit of God is bringing up that need for forgiveness, it's not for those who run to him. Listen again to verse 7. The Lord is good. He's a strong refuge when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust in him. But John 3.18 says this. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in Jesus has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact, the Bible says. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. 
They love the darkness more than the light. Church, you've heard the light today. And I don't know if, if you're like me or not, but I cannot preach through this, read through this without meeting God alone and calling on him to forgive me of my sins. To acknowledge what God is bringing up within me that is a sinful, selfish attitude. To, to fall on my knees before God and to seek his forgiveness. And if there be one or many here today that's, that's tired of playing games, they want to be saved and they want to know it, I'm going to tell you, turn from your sin, turn to God by faith in Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. It's that simple, it's that serious. And if that's you today and you want to talk to us about making, it, making sure that it's plain in your life, why not walk the aisle? Stop thinking about what other folks are thinking about you. And other folks ought to be praying for you anyway. Amen? Stop thinking about that. But we'll, we'll take a phone call this week. We'll catch you right out there. But listen, why don't you come on down? Don't delay it right now. Let's, let's get saved today. If you need to be baptized today, let, let's, let's, let's get baptized. Amen? If you want to take that step of obedience, you want to join the church, you want to talk about groups, we want to help you take a next step towards obedience. And answer that question that we asked earlier. What kind of growth does God want to see in my life? from where I am to where I need to be. Let's stand to our feet. Lord, thank you so much, Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. God, and I pray before everybody moves out, moves on, that there would be a holy moment where, Lord, if you are working on our heart and mind, we just step out by faith and come on. God, that there would be an acknowledgement. Lord, I pray that our, our place today would be a house of prayer, whether in our pew or at the altar, God, we would bow Lord, I, I dedicate this time, Father, to you and our heart's response to you. May we be honest about who we are. May we not worry about who we are to others and what our image may be and all that. God, I pray that our, our image would be re reflected, Lord, in, in you, Father, that we would understand that we owe you, not anybody else. God, thank you. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for the availability to turn to you. And I pray that that happens today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This altar is open for you. We have decision counselors here for you, pastors that will talk to you. We'll, you can pass right on by us if you'd like to and come and pray.